The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Welcome to The Good Stuff. I'm Jacob Schick, and I'm joined by my co-host and wife, Ashley Schick. Jake is a third-generation combat Marine, and I'm a Gold Star granddaughter. And we work together to serve military, veterans, first responders, frontline healthcare workers, and their families with mental and emotional wellness through traditional and non-traditional therapy at One Tribe Foundation. We believe everyone has a story to tell, not only about the peaks, but also the valleys they've been through to get them to where they are today. Each week, we invite a guest to tell us their story, to share with us the lessons they've learned that shaped who they are and what they're doing to pay it forward and give back. Our mission with this show is to dig deep into our guests' journey so that we can celebrate the hope and inspiration their story has to offer. We are thrilled you're joining us. Again, welcome to The Good Stuff. Our guest today is our dear friend and mentor, Dan Tinker. He's the CEO of SRS Distribution, one of the largest roofing companies in the world, and is a founding member of Raise the Roof Foundation. When we met years ago, he came on as a board member to help scale One Tribe Foundation to accomplish bigger and better goals. And through his leadership, we have been able to achieve this. The Tinkers are truly relationship and family goals for us, and he's here today to tell us the story of how his life and path from a wayward college student changed in an instant when he met his wife of 30 years, and how he spent decades stepping up to the challenges and opportunities in front of him to make his life, family, his company, and the world a better place. We're so proud to bring this conversation to you because this man is someone that I truly look up to, and I value our relationship greatly because not only does he help me grow as a leader in business or nonprofit, 
but as a human being, as a father, as a husband. He's not only a successful businessman, he and Audrey, they don't only lead by example, they live by example. Right. And the fact that he's always been there for me, when I've asked him for something for someone or for a family, he's never hesitated to step up. He takes my call, he listens to my why, and he makes it happen every single time. Definitely one of the most generous philanthropists we know. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Tinker. My brother Dan Tinker, welcome to The Good Stuff. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here. I know it's our first season, and so we've had a lot of firsts, but as a lifelong Texas Longhorn, I have to point out we have our first Aggie on the show today. Yep, he is from the Colt. Whoop. I love that. <laughs> love, that. love that call out. It's 30 cool. seconds in and we've already got a whoop. <laughs> no, Texas A&M University grad, proud Texas A&M Absolutely. University grad. Yep. It's funny because every episode we always joke the good stuff. It's a lot of good stuff. You know, we go deep and then we come out and we celebrate the successes of life and we talk God and we talk a lot of football and a little bit of cussing. <laughs> so there it is, our football intro for this show. But honestly, I love the tradition at Texas A&M. I can say that. Oh, my God. Are we recording? We are recording. Yeah, rooted, rooted. And uh, I think there's a lot more people who serve in the military from A&M than Texas. I, we have to check the facts on that, but I'm pretty sure with that big core program See, and former military schools. So, yeah. All irrelevant See, here, to me. I, was I didn't join the Marine Corps. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't pour, I didn't join the Marine Corps to go to college. So <laughs> this should, maybe I'm just an exception to the rule. I had the privilege of going covering a game at Texas A&M and, and just being there at Kyle Field. It was unbelievable because Jake and I talk about it often. We respect tradition, whether it be looking at news over what's going on in England with the monarchy or the military service here in the United States and ancestry, the Marine Corps, Daughters of the Republic of Texas, whatever it might be, we respect tradition. And A&M does it like none other. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the value system at that university really sets the tone, which resonated with both my wife, Audrey, and I, that we were at the right place for us. No doubt just what that school stands for is something we were proud to be a part of it. We were not crazy like Aggies. We were not raised in Aggie families, so we both ended up there kind of in weird routes that we were not like lifelong. We were definitely going to go to A&M. It was very much a last-minute decision our senior year, so we were just so lucky to end up where we thrived, and we certainly are passionate about it now. But everybody there is either borderline fanatical or passionate about the university. And to me, that's the important part. You want to be around people that love where they're at and love what they're doing and love who they stand for. And you have an incredible story. You and Audrey have an incredible story that we'll dig into. But first, we want to talk about how we even got to know you. You and Jake have known each other for years, have a lot of great memories and Mm -hmm. fun times. And (laughs) I knew that'd make you laugh. Yeah, no, I mean, nothing bad. You know, Dan's only been a great friend to me and like an older brother who's been a mentor and... I've learned so much from you. Obviously, you've come up through the ranks big time in the corporate world, and you've earned what you Yeah, Nothing's been given. I've learned a lot from you. And when I was asking you to be on the board for One Tribe, and I said, you're not leaving this place, do you say yes? Because especially those were my drinking days, so I definitely meant it. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I've learned a lot. Aside from the fact you're a great dad and a very present father, very present, dedicated husband, you're a great example for not only me, but everyone within the tribe. And it's just been a very humbling experience. And everyone can point to people that have really made an impact and made them better humans by default. And, you know, you're one of those people for me. And I know for Ash now and you and Audrey and the kids, 
It's nice to say that as small as our circles are, you're definitely in there. So you made the cut. Oh, I appreciate that. Now, I remember the day I met you very vividly. You were late, of course, and uh, <laughs> to, 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 to our meeting at, at Castle Hills with Mike Brower. And when you enter a room, everybody knows it, but I knew I wanted to be part of the tribe and, and 22 kill at the time. There was something missing in my life on the military veteran side. I mean, certainly our company had given back. We've been doing a lot on, on hiring veterans, but I really felt like I still need to do more. And really, it was resonating around this whole mental wellness and, and the need that when people talk about wounded vets, they think about, you know, flesh injuries. They don't think about the mental side ever. But, you know, I'd argue... Many, many veterans come back wounded physically, but almost all of them come back wounded mentally in some way, and, and we just don't do enough for them. So the cause was there right out of the gate, and then your personality, your no-nonsense, and it hit me right in the face, punched me in the face kind of with an attitude of like, hey, if you're going to do this, I need you all in, and I don't know how to scale an organization like you do, and I need you for these things where you can add value, and that's really the main thing I leaned on to make the decision to join the board was do I like the CEO and can I add value? And once I said check, check, which was about, again, 30 seconds in, yeah, we were ready to roll. Well, it's been a tremendous asset to this foundation. And, you know, because of your influence and because of your discipline, we've helped a lot of people. And most of which that we'll never, ever personally meet. And that to me is one of the beautiful parts and aspects of, of this job. We just create force multipliers for the greater good. And because of everything you just said, that's one of the reasons we said we've got to have Dan on the good stuff. You have achieved so much as a father and a husband, so family first, but then as a businessman, just great achievements. And then to take all of that and turn it around and really use that platform to contribute back. It's really beautiful, everything that you and your entire team have been able to accomplish. And that's what the good stuff is all about. And we feel so blessed to have you as a friend and a mentor. We wanted to share this goodness with our listeners, right? Yeah. Your story is one of great achievement in the business world. You've accomplished so much and then used it to help so many others. Today, we want to hear about the love story <laughs> that's responsible for the man that we now admire. Yeah, it all starts with the motivation and what motivated me to do all of that and have the career I've had. And that really does go back to a pivotal moment in my life where I had just entered A&M as a freshman. And I was like every 18 year old boy away from home at the first time. I was dumb, stupid. That's not how think, I was. Thinking, <laughs> thinking I was uh, thinking I didn't need to go to class. I spent more time playing sand volleyball on my first semester than I, and I didn't even, I don't even know where my classes, half of them were. Um, I, I somehow got through the semester with like a one point something GPA. And I somehow, luckily at Christmas break, intercepted the mail from A&M to my parents saying that I'd been put on academic probation yes. uh, at Christmas break. So I was, I was on the fast track to be back here at community college within probably four more months had I not met my wife and started dating her two weeks later after I got back from Christmas break. So in many ways, she not only saved my life in some way, I, I say it that way and people say, well, that's overly dramatic, but it really is true. She certainly saved the life I have today. The life I have today wouldn't have happened had I not met her, had the courage to take the risk to ask her out when everybody else wanted to and didn't. Wow, that is beautiful. It gives me goosebumps, but I'm not emotional yet. I usually cry. Like, <laughs> Give it time. Episode, Give it time. <laughs> America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale, extend your spine, remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. So what was the first meeting like? Like, what was the... I see her and I have to ask her out, especially before I get put on academic probation. I was fortunate enough that two of her high school classmates were in my dorm and on my hall. So when we started hanging out in groups, she was in a dorm close proximity to mine where we'd have common places with meals and whatnot. We'd have big groups of 12, 15, 20 people that we'd eat together and go out at night and stuff like that. So I remember, I think, being seeing her for the first time. She was actually playing intramural soccer, and she was out on the soccer field. And one of my buddies said, hey, that's that girl Audrey I was telling you about. And I saw her, and I was like... I would love to marry that woman someday. And, uh, Immediately. And, and I had no game and no, nothing, uh, you know, no reason to think that I had any shot. Uh, and so I was totally clueless. But I was like, you know, you have to have high aspirations. And she was dating her high school sweetheart the first semester. So it gave us a chance to get to know each other a little bit in a very non-pressure situation because she had a boyfriend. So we were just becoming friends casually with a big group. So it was very easy for me to just get to know her. And if, once you're around her, you understand her personality. And she's... A beautiful person outside, but way more so than out. She just has an infectious smile. She never met a stranger. Very kind, very sweet. Luckily, she broke up with her high school sweetheart who couldn't get into A&M, thank God. <laughs> I can't say it had anything to do with that, although looking back, I would have tried to get him out of that. But, uh, but she came back, and, and, and they had broken up. And I honestly, I was just the first one that took the risk and had the courage to actually ask her on an individual date as opposed to just going out with our group set and friends all together in a group. So 
she said yes, and I was like, holy crap, now what do I do? So, uh, <laughs> so again, I didn't have yeah, pressure. I didn't have a lot to offer at that time. Hey, you know, I'm pretty good at sand volleyball, but I'm not really going to class very often, and I'm not sure I'm going to be here very long. And she thought I was full of shit, too, because I talked about stories of my high school days with my buddies and how much beer we drank and all that. So she didn't come from that environment. She had a much better uh, high school experience of doing the right thing and always busy and in athletics and academics. And so I don't think she drank alcohol until she got to college where I think I drank more in high school than I did at A&M. So she thought all that was like, you know, me just making up stories. And then she met all my friends from high school and she realized I wasn't lying <laughs> <laughs> later on. But uh, she said, she even says, I think to people, you know, yeah, I, I kind of liked him, but I thought he was full of crap. I, I think some days <laughs> she still says I'm full of crap 30 yeah. years later. But uh, anyway, so luckily we, we had our first date. It was fun. We I picked her up at the dorm and we went out to dinner, went to a movie, kept it very simple. But I, you know, I knew it was the first person. I had never dated anybody in high school that really went anywhere or had any length to it. It was very much just all nothing serious. So I went into full court mode. I'm asking her out again. And then we were lucky to get together. I'd moved off campus for second semester on campus. I was breaking too many rules. So we had a party at our house. I think I remember that was the year the Cowboys won that first Super Bowl. 93. 93? January 93. So yeah, we had a party and she stayed over and I was just so afraid that she'd meet some other guy that I started walking her to every class. And I said, (laughs) I was so worried about her breaking up with me. I was like, well, if I spend every minute with her, she can't meet anybody better. So that's what I tried. And then I said, well, shit, I'm on campus after I drive her. Might as well go to my classes. That's yeah. it. So I drop her off and I'd walk down the campus and say, where's that building I've been going to? I should probably go in there. And overnight, my grades went from like horrible to like almost straight A's the rest of my entire time. I finished second in my class and my major wow. with that horrible start. And that's all because of her motivating me to say, you're way better than this. You can do way better things. And if, oh, by the way, if you're going to be with me, you're going to be an all-star and you're going to work your ass off and you're not going to be lazy and you're going to go to class. She was that important to me that I would have done anything to stay in school, do well, and impress her that I'm worthy of being her future husband. So it really is was a game changer. That's an example of when fear can motivate for good, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. and, and you're there at this crossroads. You're, it's almost your tipping point of, okay, I better get off my butt and go apply myself. How do you feel like she, besides the fear, unlocked that in you? Was it the tough love? Well, it was also just positive reinforcement of, of saying, I, you know, she knew I was smart and she knew I wasn't applying myself. And, and so she used good Catholic guilt. She used lots of different tools in her <laughs> toolkit. But she's like, hey, I, I, I'm going to go study for three hours in the library. Do you want to go with me? And of course, the answer was going to be yes. So she modeled the behavior that she wanted me to do. I started going to mass with her, just living the life that I was actually proud of, as opposed to just being kind of lost. I was lost before we we started dating. And then she really just focused me on like, you know, w- what are you going to be doing after college? Because that matters to me. We were having conversations right out of the get-go of like, what kind of man are you going to be when you grow up? And and I was doing a lot of reflection and saying, well, I want to be somebody she's super proud of, which started and manifested with well, if I want to go out and have an awesome career and achieve great things and be able to do good things and help her give back to the world and make the world a better place, I got to get in gear and I got to get totally motivated, totally focused. And so it was really just about focus, motivation, and then unleashing what I had in me, but I just was wasting until until she kind of showed me the light. And then I emulated her behavior of just 
really ruthlessly attacking, studying, and then going to mass and just grounding myself in the right things as opposed to just wanting to party or do other things that, you know, we still had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. We, yeah. had, we had a great college time and tons of fun the whole way. Seems like she, from such a young age, had all of her ducks in a row and she knew what she wanted and she knew what she was looking for in a life partner. Where do you think that came from inside of her? You know, it's funny. I always reflect that because her dad was a very successful businessman and a wonderful man, one of the kindest people you'd ever meet. Hmm. She always told me, I don't want you to be a workaholic because my dad was and we didn't get to spend enough time with them. So I was always on the fence of like, does she want me to be like her dad or not? I think underneath the surface level of that one comment, which I tried to balance, although I failed miserably throughout most of my career of not being a workaholic, but I try to be leave as much at work when I get home, try to be way more present to our kids than her dad maybe had the opportunity to be in his career. Once I exhibited those behaviors that were like her father of the work ethic and the career ambition, I'm going to lead to be a great provider and provide our family with a great life and then allow us to give back to things that you're passionate about, Audrey, our church, or, or whatever it is. We're going to have the means to do that. You're not going to be with some guy that we're hoping to you know, just scrape by and, and always going to be struggling to keep a job or something like that. So it really, it, I think it all came back for she was looking for what she knew, and I think most people do fall back on you know, their family experience and, and what does good look like. And certainly her dad was an amazing guy and great business person and just a kind soul. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense knowing Audrey now that, yeah. that that's where she came from. You Very know, Jake and I so. talk about it a lot, generational behavior, generational trauma specifically, you know, when we're talking about different things with one tribe going on, but how to break those generational curse. In this situation, it's beautiful to see that there was a generational pattern that she got from her father. It's the opposite of what we typically talk about, right? Yeah. I mean, she, she obviously had a convicted example to follow. You know, I stopped my whole drinking and drugging journey years ago. Five Over five years ago. Whatever it was. It's like I tell Ash, I'm like, yeah, man, some days are harder than others because I don't know anyone that's living like this. I don't know a person in my life that is living the way I'm living. I can't see the next step. It's just kind of blind faith, just head down, keep going. But I had a lot of great examples about work ethic and it's good to see because it is there's both sides of the spectrum. You know, you have that generational trauma that does carry on and oftentimes in the form of self-medicating. But you also have the generational examples of the work hard, stay humble, be kind. That's all that matters. And knowing her the way I know her now, like I could have told you. Yeah, for sure. She had something to follow. Yep. Something significant that she cherished or cherishes dearly. Yep. Yeah, and her mother's certainly the same way, too. She's great. I always laugh when people tell in-law jokes. I said, I can't laugh with you because my mother-in-law is, we're very close, and I've never not felt like her son as well, and no mean bone in her body, so to speak, and just she gets a lot of lot of those, the motherly qualities from certainly her mom, too. She's just an amazing lady as well. I love how Audrey's played such a pivotal role and you being who you are today. Even if I didn't know you the way I know you now, I, I could have told you just by watching you and her, that was probably the case. It's evident the way that you guys are with each other. And after 30 years, you know, it's like relationship goals. Like after 30 years, you're still completely in love. And it's obvious. And you don't see it a lot. But you've clearly made each other a priority. 
It's tough. We've had our times, like any married couple is always going to go through ups and downs. And certainly when you make work too much of a priority or when kids enter into the situation and they become the priority, as they need to be at certain times, it's just hard. You just have to be able to realize that it's not always going to be the same as when you first dated. It's not, you're going to constantly learn and, and the relationship has to evolve. And the key is that you're committed to each other. You're loyal, you're dedicated, and you stay that way. And to me, you can work through anything else as long as you both feel like this is the person, the soulmate I should be with. And then once you build a lot of time together, again, if you both come to it with the right spot and that you're good human beings and you respect the other person, you can get through anything as long as you're committed. I see too many people just not committed, even out of the gate. Too many people enter into marriage either too casually, they don't date it long enough for whatever reason. They don't admit they're not as compatible as they might think they are. And then again, I, I just can't stand lack of loyalty. I, it's one of the, my pet peeves. But I, even at the company, I don't tolerate people that cheat on their spouses. I, I try to move them on. I said, look, if you're if you're going to break that one sanctity you Reflection of the rest of your life. Yeah, you made yep. that commitment to God that you were going to stay with that yep. person the rest of your life and you broke it, you'll certainly screw the company over. Yep. So I can't trust you. And so to me, I mean, I understand there's some need for divorce always when there's a bad situation, but then have the have the integrity to get the divorce done. And then, then if you want to go meet other people, God love you. Everybody deserves to be happy and find their... It, I completely agreed, but there's right ways to go about it. Sure. You know, and then, do it with class and honor. And I always used to say, do what your mother would be proud of, but... Honestly, you just do what you'd be proud of. Right. Like, that you're, if you're honest with yourself, you really just have to do what you'd be proud of. And that's, that's really what changed with me. I wasn't proud of the way I was acting in college until I met her. But by the time I graduated, I was damn proud of the way I performed and finished my studies and then got me set up for amazing job out of the gate and a great career because it, the finish of school put me on that trajectory. I can relate to it in the sense of once I completely did away with the self-interest, self-gain, mindset, usually which was destructive anyway, I definitely not was not pouring good into my body in any way, shape, or form. I completely put that in my rearview mirror. It's amazing how much things shifted. Not to say that you know, clearly hard days are guaranteed, but being able to lean in and love hard and do it with conviction and know Look, I'm imperfect. I'm okay with that. I've made peace with that. I will never fail you intentionally. Yep. Like that's the difference now. Yep. Love, loyalty, and faithfulness. I say it all the time. I just like, babe, you know, what do you need? What can I get for you? I'm just all I need from you is love, loyalty, and faithfulness. I got the rest. It's just like anything in a company or in a nonprofit or in a relationship. You're only as good as your morale. And there are times where you need that person to pick you up when you're when you have a rough thing you have to go through. We're human, and one of the key needs of being human is having quality relationships and interactions, and that's the best part, or the good stuff. It's quality friendships, quality family relationships, quality business relationships that you have their back. They don't have to watch their back. It's it's just, uh, to me, the more people you can put in the camp. I always had, I had a great boss right out of college that said, you will not be successful in business unless a whole hell of a lot of people want you to be. So you better get to know a lot of people and always be selling yourself and what you want to go do. And people don't want to hear about you. They want to hear about how you help them be better. So you have to be a man or a woman for others if you want to be successful. So to your point, the minute you stop focusing on your selfish needs and you say, the only way for me to really rise is to have that wave of people push me to the front of my career. You know, I took my first branch in Little Rock that was the worst in our company. 
dead last. I was the only one under 40 that they let run a branch, and I was 23 years old. I didn't know anything. But I got there, and I realized that branch was going to be shut down in like three or four months if I didn't perform. And all these people I inherited were going to lose their jobs. And so immediately, I I was working for them, not for me. Right. And then that kind of ingrained in me that, hey, they deserve to be led and led well, and it's up to me to do it. And I don't get to mail it in or quit early. I'm going to die trying. And we, and we turned it around. We went from dead last to branch of the year the very next year out of 165 locations. And that really vaulted my career forward to where I then got noticed by all the executives. And then I just kept climbing after that. So, But it was because I wasn't trying to impress people or look good or fake it till I made it. I was genuinely sitting with 11 people saying, we're all going to lose our jobs if we don't turn this thing around. I can lead us to victory, but I need you all to do your individual part. And if you just believe in me, I guarantee you we're going to we're gonna kill it. And we did. It was so much fun. Yeah, loyalty. It was their loyalty to you and your loyalty to them. And your leadership. We've talked so much about Audrey's influence on you, but if you hadn't chosen to step up and meet the expectation, we wouldn't be here talking today, right? That's one of the beautiful things that it's so refreshing to hear from such a large company that you have those values. Oh, I mean, for sure. Jake and I have both worked, I mean, I worked with a Fortune 500 company for years, and it's just so refreshing to hear that the traditional values are still being implemented in a company. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that I work for the 10,000 employees of SRS. I, they don't work for me. It is my honor and privilege to serve them as their CEO, but I have a huge responsibility that I carry, and proudly, and I don't view it as a burden, I view it as a great opportunity to give my full self and lead fully and I know I do a really good job making the job look fun. So mm-hmm. some, so lots of people are going to want the job down the line. But to me, it's all about morale. I can work 20 hours a week more than I work today and give the company 20 hours more output. But if I can motivate 10,000 people to want to work one more hour a week, I just created 10,000 hours of more output for the company. So I learned that I had to be a really master motivator and a great communicator. But to be believed as a good inspirational leader... It starts with empathy and trust, and do they really care about me as a person, or am I a number, or am I an asset, and do they really care about my life even outside? When we founded this company, I knew every employee when we were smaller, every employee, every wife, every child or spouse, every child's name, every dog's name of everyone in the company. Now, we got too big at at some point where you can't handle all that capacity, but the whole point was it was a family. We built an environment that said, hey, you matter. Every person matters. It is a family, and that's why we coined the, the one family, one fight during COVID, too, because it's an environment where everybody in this company has everybody's back, not you're worried about who's stabbing you in the back. There's only two types of cultures in corporations, one that you're worried about politics and somebody's stabbing you in the back, or somebody trying to get ahead at your expense, or everybody who says there's no limit to what this company can achieve as long as no one cares who gets the credit. And that's kind of the environment and the culture we just always believed in because it's not about being smarter. I enter every meeting in every room I am as not the smartest person in the room. And I enjoy that. And actually, I can't stand people that enter the room thinking they're the smartest person because I've been humbled enough to know that everybody in that room, regardless, even if they're a brand new warehouse worker, knows more than me about something. We all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, and different experiences. And every single person on this planet is smarter than me at something. And as a result, they're my teacher. And so many leaders just don't get that. They are so insecure and afraid to admit they don't know everything. And they're too busy trying to convince you they know everything to actually learn and get better and improve. And to me, that just stunts 
learning and usually puts you in a situation where you're, you feel like an imposter or a fraud, and then you're not being an authentic leader, and people can smell that from a mile miles away. away. Yep. Yep. Well, you really are an authentic leader, and you've earned that reputation. Tell us about how you founded SRS Distribution and grew it, and then started Raise the Roof Foundation. Yeah, so SRS Distribution is a national building products distribution company. We founded it back in 2008, literally with four or five guys in a room with an idea with no company. And we said, hey, let's go put the band back together, meaning the management team. We had been together at previous company. And let's go do this one more time and build something that's never been done. Let's do some epic, great, bold stuff. And let's take all the good things out of every company we've ever competed against or been and take all the bad stuff and not do any of it. And so we kind of set the architecture and the culture out of the gate and then didn't even have a company. So then we went and found this company out of Florida. We bought it a bankruptcy called Suncoast Riffer Supply, which is the SRS. And we had six locations. We were doing about $30 million in sales, and we were losing a ton of money. And we had a private <laughs> equity backer. And luckily, they, they had confidence in us because they knew we had done it before. And quickly, we went out and bought four other companies that year and stabilized the company and got going. But we've done 130 acquisitions now in 15 years. We've opened 200 new distribution centers. So now from six, we're all the way to 700 locations from roughly 100 employees after we bought that first company to now 10,000 plus employees. No one you know that we know of in brick-and-mortar distribution, a non-technology or non-pharmaceutical I mean, No industrial company in America has ever in 15 years gone from basically zero to $10 billion in revenue ever, according to all of our bankers on Wall Street. So very proud of that fact. We've grown tremendously fast and with a culture that I think is what I'm most proud of. We have a, te- a family-first culture, people matter, and then the foundation kind of spins off of that. Once we've had success, we all kind of said, what are we missing? We're getting wealthy. We're getting accolades. We're winning awards as a company. We're proud of the way we act. But are we giving back to the communities? Are we giving back? And certainly, veterans was the first pillar that we said we've got to start. The second was people impacted by weather-related disasters, because we do in the building industry benefit when there's hurricanes and tornadoes. So, and, and that gives you a sense of guilt that hey, I'm profiteering off of people's homes being damaged. So you want to give back into that community, just like the veteran community. Ron, our chairman, and I both had fathers served in the military and believe that we only get to to play this game of business and have war without blood in the business world because our military is off protecting our freedom and protecting our American enterprise system and entrepreneurship. And the fact that we're still the only country in the world that you can be born and in your own lifetime change your multi-generational family's trajectory in one lifetime is the reason why everybody fights to get in this country and doesn't yeah, fight fact. to leave. Absolutely. And, and that is defended by our military. So that's why it's, it kind of resonated. So, And then we certainly want to support other local charities and all the communities we serve, which is our third pillar. So we started Raise the Roof Foundation 10 years ago with just a dream of, again, to make a difference and use the power of our influence with the company because of our now 80,000 customers, 10,000 employees, and probably 20,000 suppliers and reach a big audience and use our voice in a strong way to do good. We just didn't realize it would just take a life of its own, and now we have a huge endowment that we've built out, and we've been able to donate 
probably almost $15 million to other nonprofits. The company pays for all the operating costs, so 100% of the money we raise gets passed on to other nonprofits. So we're very proud of that. And again, we're just getting warmed up on that. As the company grows, it grows along with it, and it resonates. Our customers actually want to buy from us because they know we give back, and it matters to them. If we're the same price as somebody else in the market for the same products and the same service level, they will tip the scales our way because they say, one, that's a company where their people are proud to be there, but two, look at all the veterans that are hiring. Look at all the minorities they're hiring and giving careers to, and they're doing it the right way. You know, unfortunately in this country, after Enron and Tyco and a few other bad actors around 2002, 2003, ever since corporations in the media and in movies and sitcoms and everything have been vilified. You name me one movie or TV show since 2002 where a businessman or a CEO or a corporation was something that little Johnny or little Susie aspired to go be someday when they're sitting in elementary school. When I grew up, it was. I admired my father in the 70s and the 80s because on TV, they admired corporations and successful business people and successful companies. They were admired. Unfortunately, we've lost that in this country, and we've got to get that back. Now, not all companies are good, and they're right. certainly bad actors, and they deserve to be called out and identified, and I'm all for that. And what I'm hoping is SRS is that company that people emulate and say, it can be done. You can be an amazingly successful company. Your employees can get very wealthy, not just the top, all the way to the bottom. Everyone in our company has equity in the company, so we're sharing the wealth. You can give back to your communities. You can give through a foundation or just charities, and you can do the right thing where your suppliers are proud of you, your customers are proud of you, your employees are proud of you, and certainly the investors are proud of you, and everybody's winning. Nobody, there's nobody losing. More companies need to have the courage to, to lead that way. Right, and it does need to be on the headlines. I can't name a TV show for you, but I can name a podcast. Okay. That is all about celebrating the good stuff. And that well is the good done, stuff. Babe. Thank you. You like how I did that? Well you done. Like did that? Well done. But that's the point. We want to celebrate the good because there is still so much out there. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm in marketing. And so last night I unfortunately started looking at what was trending on Twitter it's just depressing. We have to be protective of everything we put into our body, whether that be food, whether that be stories, TV, everything we're reading. And I just thought, you know what? I need to put this down. It's not doing anything but upsetting me. It's good to have the knowledge, but let me shift and let me pivot because there is so much good. And SRS Distribution, Raise the Roof, you and Audrey and everything that your entire family is doing, it's incredible stuff. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. What would you say to a young man that was in the same boat as you after that first semester in college? What would you say to him? Oh, God, that's easy. I I would say, first of all, get off your ass and get in the game. Get focused on being somebody and being somebody you're meant to be and realize your full potential. There's nothing sadder in life than coming across people that have amazing talent and amazing opportunity, and they don't take advantage of it. I see it every day. And it's not just in the work life. It could be in other careers outside of business, too, that you just see people that say either they're afraid, they're not willing to take risks. I always tell everybody, all the big movers in my life that that have led to where I've been able to achieve, every one of them, marrying my wife, the success of the company, my career, my achievements in school or with philanthropy, everything started from me taking a risk. If I played it safe, I would have never dated Audrey. If I played it safe, I wouldn't have graduated from AM and gotten off this great career. If I played it safe in business, I would have never gone to Little Rock and turned around the worst branch. I would have stayed at corporate and probably be still sitting in a cube someday or somewhere. And I think people, they need to find other people in their lives that can give them that courage or build up the courage in them that believe they see it in them to where they can push them over to that risk. And when I say risk, I don't mean dumb things like driving your car 140 miles an hour. I mean risk by saying, what's the worst could happen here? But let's be bold and be aggressive. You only get one shot at this life. Do you really want to sit back when you're 80 and say, had I only asked Audrey out, I would have married her instead of John or Fred. Had I only not left company A when I worked for an asshole, then had the courage of myself to, without a, I didn't even have a job one time in my career. I had a boss who was a complete jerk and I just quit. And he couldn't believe I didn't have a job yet. I said, I don't need another job. I'll find another job. You're a jerk. I'm out of here. Yeah. And to me, I see too many people in their careers work in a career or field they don't love, which to me is ridiculous. I mean, I tell every person in high school or college I meet, follow your passion, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. My 27-year career, I've never viewed it as work. I love it. If it was taken away from me, I would be depressed because to me, it's cathartic to work and to achieve and to do good things and stimulate, especially your mind, but also other people and test your mettle and grow and improve. The minute you stop learning and growing, you know, you're already kind of headed down a bad path. I mean, I see it all the time when people retire. They seem to kind of lose their way and, and they have a hard time reconnecting and being happy and whatnot. And it's not all about being a workaholic. You can have work-life balance and you can crush it in your career. And you don't have to be an extrovert and you don't have to be a CEO. You just have to do you, like you always say, be your authentic self and just find happiness, find true joy. I always tell kids, if you wake up and you're in the shower and you're like, I'm dreading going to work, 
or dreading doing whatever I'm doing, you're doing the wrong thing. Right. right. Stop. Right. Don't just keep doing it. Don't feel like you're on a treadmill. Get off and find a different path. And the only way that you can do that safely is have a lot of mentors and a lot of friends that can give you good advice on what you should do and ask them. Use other people. There's tons of people on this planet that are way experienced than you. And again, have the humility. Don't be afraid to ask that you don't know everything and step up and make good decisions and and just take control of your own life. I see too many people just going through the motions of life and wake up at the end and say, I'm unfulfilled. I didn't achieve what I wanted. I didn't provide for my kids. I didn't the way I wanted to, or I didn't set myself up where I could retire early and enjoy the wealth I created while I still had the physical ability to do it. To me, that all is a lack of planning and a lack of willingness to admit where you're at and then take the risk and jump. And again, not a big risk, just a risk to say, I may be out of my comfort zone, but that's okay. That's how we grow. Absolutely. So motivating. I love it. Pumped up now. It's also true. I just had a conversation with a guy last night, and I said, look, man, everything we want is on the other side of our fear. So many people's greatness is dictated by their fear. Stop submitting to the fear. Channel it. Use it to help you go and grow. It's like we tell the boys. Be willing to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Sky's the limit. Yep. How do you celebrate your wins today? I think I celebrate my wins by trying to give other people the light as much as I can. It's hard being a CEO because everybody wants to put you on that mm-hmm. pedestal. If we fail, it's my fault. But if we win, it's because of the hard work of all the employees. And I think that's kind of the way you have to have that right mindset. To me, it's celebrating is more about appreciating and showing gratitude for the people that actually helped the achievement happen. And making sure you're you're not forgetting who actually got you there or did the work or achieved the goal and making sure you're putting that spotlight on them and not yourself as much as you can and saying it's the company that won that award. It's not the CEO. It's not the person. It's the company did that or achieved that milestone, and it's a team sport. And so to me, it's more about just spreading the credit and also celebrate Aggressively. I mean, we do. We make it a big deal every time we hit a new milestone, whether it's another billion in sales or whether it's another hundred locations we've opened, or if we pass another competitor and we get one step to the largest in our industry, every time we try to stop and celebrate because, you know, you're asking people to work in a long duration, now 15 years to build this company. You have to keep them grounded in that, hey, we're asking you to work in a very mundane daily environment that we try to make it as fun as possible. And that's my job is I want you to get a speeding ticket on the way to work, not on the way home. I'm creating an environment where you're thriving and enjoying being alive and contributing. Prison for me would be sitting there key punching something into a computer all day. You could pay me double what I make as a CEO to put in like numbers into a computer screen, and I would I would quit, right? So people say, well, do you love your job? I said, absolutely. And they said, well, what's a typical day like for you? I said, I haven't had one in 27 years, so I'm not sure. Every single day has been different. One day I'm dealing with a personnel problem. One day I'm dealing with a marketing issue. Next day I'm dealing with a supplier or a customer that's pissed off at us. Or we've got a, you know a new distribution center that's behind schedule. Or I've got an e-commerce problem. Or I've got whatever. But the beauty is it, I love that because it keeps you... Uh, again, mentally stimulated. And every challenge is an opportunity to excel. And as long as you look at it that way and say, this is just a fun new thing I get to do, that's just thrilling to be able to say, 
I'm gonna, we're gonna tackle this as a team and we're gonna surround ourselves with the smartest people we can, the hardest working people we can. We're all gonna have fun and we're all gonna, we're gonna get it done. And so to me, that's the way you have to attack business. And if you wanna be super successful, mindset Mindset and gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. I love this saying real quick that you guys say, I think we heard the first time, I don't know, several years ago, but the whole goal, have fun and give back. Make money, have fun fun and give give back. back. Yeah, Yeah. started with our chairman, Ron, because his dad used to ask him early in his career only two things. They co-invested in our first company that I went to work for Ron out of college, Cameron Ashley, together. He and his dad both put investment in that company. And every time he talked to his dad, his dad didn't ask him how the investment's doing. He said, are you making money or are you having fun? And he said, yeah, dad, we're doing both. And then later on in life, we added the give back because we were able to open up the foundation and get it started and really do some great things, which is way beyond the money. We get more fulfillment out of meeting people like yourselves and meeting people all over this great country that do great things. Again, that doesn't often goes unnoticed, picking up where others just aren't getting it done for our communities. What's one piece of relationship advice to to bring it back to your beginning, to bring it back to Audrey and your beautiful love story with her? What's one piece of relationship advice that you've either been given or that you could give? The biggest thing to me for relationships is you've got to meet the other person where they are at that time, and you've got to support them and know where, where where their needs are at that moment. And that's going to change all the time. Audrey and I don't resolve like arguments the same way. She's like Jake. She's going to smack me in the head until <laughs> I finish the discussion where I'd ra- I'm just going to go wander off and say, I know we're going to calm down and then we'll have a very peaceful, logical conversation about the issue in an hour or two or tomorrow or whatever. So we've had to adjust to the two different styles of needing two different resolution types. You figure out what works for you and what doesn't. She likes to confront and be aggressive because that's the family she grew up in was that way. I grew up in a family that didn't like conflict. And so whenever there was conflict, it was just kind of one of those, well, we don't talk about those kind of things at the dinner table. Avoidance behavior. Avoidance behavior. And so that was just the way I was raised. So I have more of the oh, she's hit me off guard. I've got, a, I've got a retreat. It's the fight or flight. I'm in the flight mode right away. First of all, I have the appropriate level of fear of my wife. So that's probably the part of the issue, which every husband should. I probably do too much flight, not enough fight. But we're both strong-willed people and both very type A. So when you're both driven that way, you have to be able to find ways that you both can be right but then together you find a way to make it work. It's not always perfect and it's not always easy, but I think the point I'm saying is, I think Jake said things like this before, anyway, it tells you the relationship's perfect, they're lying to you. It's basically, it's so true. You have to work on it. It's a craft. And there's different times in our time together where it was fantastic and we were able to focus on each other so much. And then there's times where I had to completely focus on work or she completely had to focus on the kids or whatever. And that was those were the right decisions. And to me, it goes back to do you... Do you really truly believe the other person loves you unconditionally and and is going to be there for you if something bad happened? If you did get in a car accident and you're in a wheelchair, will they push you around that wheelchair the rest of your life? If you fundamentally cannot say that, you shouldn't marry that person. Agreed. And too many people do and say, oh, no, there's no way my spouse would stick around if that happened to me. I said, then you're you're already already made up your mind. What are you doing? Wasting valuable time. Yeah. 
Well, we truly appreciate you for the man that you are, for the leader that you are, the mentor that you are, and great friend. Love all of the wonderful advice that we've gotten here today. It's truly an honor to be able to sit down with you and and capture all of this for our listeners. So thank you. No, you're more than welcome. The honor and the privilege is all mine. Uh, You two are a huge inspiration to Audrey and I both. We certainly love everything you guys stand for and your unwavering commitment to people, not just in the military, but anybody really you meet and that needs you is pretty amazing. You guys don't realize how much you inspire lots of people to do good. So thank you. Thank you for being such a steadfast, present leader that's very humble, too, I might add, and that is not hesitant at all to give back. Dan, thank you so much for being part of our show. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. I don't think I ever leave a conversation with him where I don't have just a ton of inspiration and just nuggets to think about to make me want to be better. Well, that's because you don't sit in on the board meetings. (laughs) 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 No, he's exactly. I mean, he is everything and every reason of why we wanted to do this show. He and Audrey and the Tinker family is the reason that we have the good stuff. Such great people, a great family, even though they're Aggies. 2725. There it is. There it is. That's my humble, gorgeous wife. All the live long day. So for everyone that (laughs) doesn't know what she's talking about, 2725 was the final score the last time the University of Texas played Texas A&M. When was it? 2011. 2011. That's the last time A&M and Texas played? Yeah. Was 2011? Yeah, because A&M won't play us because they're scared. Oh, there it is again. That's a whole nother episode. Way to take away from such a beautiful story. <laughs> it's still beautiful. Twenty-seven, twenty-five. Hook them. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. And if this episode touched you, please share it. Be part of making someone else's day better. Put on your badass capes and go be great today. And remember, you can't do epic stuff without epic people. Thank you for listening to The Good Stuff. The Good Stuff is executive produced by Ashley Schick, Jacob Schick, Leah Pictures, and Q-Code Media. Hosted by Ashley Schick and Jacob Schick. Produced by Nick Casolini and Ryan Countshouse. Post-production supervisor, Will Tindy. Music editing by Will Haywood-Smith. Edited by Mike Robinson. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.